Hello, this is episode 248 of the Corporal Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Riley. This episode is on religion. We're not supposed to talk about sex, politics, and religion. It must be the Scorpio in my chart that I'm always drawn to talk about all of these things and to always delve into the underworld of humanity. So my own school journey is interesting for those of you who haven't got a chance to read all of my writing. I started in a Catholic school. I made my first communion when I was seven. I was so terrorised in the school that even though I didn't explain that to my parents because I felt they were my battles to take on in the world, they realised that there was something wrong and they moved me to a multi-denominational school, a co-ed multi-denominational school, which was very progressive thinking in ta- at the time in Ireland. There was only 50 students in the whole school when I started. It was only the second one of those schools in the country. And the parents had a huge involvement in the school. And they came in and they thought classes every Friday afternoon as well. And so I went from being in a purely Catholic school to being in a class with everything from atheists to Jews to Buddhists to Catholics, Protestants. There was an entire diversity. And there was no formal religious education, but we studied multi-denominational religious ethos. Everything was covered. And as a result of that, those schools were not funded by the state in Ireland because they had no they had no religious basis, basically. And so there was that was another reason for the parents being hugely involved, because there had to be a huge amount of fundraising to cover the aspect that would have been generally covered by the church and by the state in Ireland. I then moved to a Church of Ireland Protestant school to finish my education. So I managed to do all of the pretty much the available options within the Irish education system. My first personal piece of writing that I sat down and wrote that I've, I've never published or never sent anywhere, it was just it was a piece of writing that I needed to pour out of my own soul to help heal me, was a fictional letter to my first primary school. Because as a student with severe dyslexia, who was completely illiterate the whole time that I was in that school, suffered a lot of abuse from the teacher, a lot of bullying from the classmates. And in the run-up to my first communion at the age of seven, I was put in contact with a priest by myself who turned out to be one of the biggest paedophiles in the Dublin diocese. And it was very well known. He was just moved around from diocese to diocese at the time. And, And later there was a huge case came forward with all of the the people that he had abused over the years. And I can't actually remember his name. And I look back on it now and I realised I was a kind of a target that was being vetted by him. I felt incredibly uncomfortable in, in those sessions with him. My lasting memory was at the age of seven trying to think of sins, things that I had done wrong that I should feel guilty for, look for a confession on and then be given permission by the priest for my sins and and to say prayers for them. And at some point he turned up at our family home 
for some excuse and, and obviously realised that even though I was this very quiet child who was having this really difficult time in school, that I had this incredibly strong base at home and that we were all very connected. And so in a way I wasn't a good target and so he backed off and left me alone. But obviously he didn't leave other people alone. A number of years later I ended up connecting with a guy who had been in the boys' school at the same time and him talking about the outward abuse that had taken place in the class in the boys' school from the priests at the same time period. Um, you know, retrospectively when I sat down to write it, like I was just I was so angry with this school for putting young children in that vulnerable place and having them abused and violated. So it really tainted my version of the church and my version of religion and belief. And for years, I would have described myself as a fatalistic atheist as a result. I had a real sense of bizarrely something beyond me energetically and then we're not completely in control of our own destiny all the time, but also a massive distrust and dislike of religion fundamentally. And when I had my birth chart read a few years ago, um, it was said to me that, I, I can't remember what it was in my chart, but that I, I would be likely to be drawn to Buddhism. And I do enjoy reading their, their principles and their work and their ideals. I'm also very drawn to Kitumi. If you believe in reincarnation, he's supposed to have come back as Pythagoras in a later life. I did a huge amount of research on Pythagoras last year. I was really fascinated that there was so much more to him than what we had been taught in maths class. That he had tried to almost bring the East and West ideals together. His ideas of materialism and spiritualism and science and spirituality, which often clash and don't come together. And I'm reminded of Reverend James Lawson's quoting um, a Minlosa poem at John Lewis's funeral, the poem meaning which I'll put in the, the description. When I die, I will see the lining of the world, the other side beyond bird, mountain, sunset, the true meaning ready to be decoded. What never added up will add up. What was incomprehensible will be comprehended. And so, you know, there's an aspect that we, that, that no one, no matter how much they say, can say what it looks like beyond where we are now. For me, as a physicist originally, I really believe in energy and that it has to be continued, but I don't know what form it will take. I don't know what's on the other side. I also have a massive influence of Hygieia and Lyoth in my chart as well. And so I have a total adverse reaction to masculine egos, even when they are in the women's body. And this comes up again and again for me, this sense of who needs to be right and who needs to be on top, needs to be in control, and what we do with energy. And there's an exhibition in a fantastic museum in Dublin in the Chester Beatty Library. It was originally a private collection. And I brought many people to, to see this exhibition, like some of the exhibition space is rolling and some of it's slightly more permanent. There was a combination this time when I went to the space because there was an exhibition on books which covered everything from 
the art of writing in China and Japan, to the Book of Islam, to the really early writings in the Neolithic period carved into stones, and then on to Christianity. And then there's a more permanent exhibition which demonstrates all of the, the religious ethoses in the world and their spiritual texts. So you have everything from Buddhism to Sufism to Islam, again Christianity. Um, there was aspects from Persia and also from Turkey and Iran. I'm trying to think of all, all of the countries that were present. And as I, I'm always reminded when I stand in these spaces of the sheer energy and the creativity, the opulence that very often goes into religious texts. And I joke that when you get to Christianity, it always seems slightly duller. You know, there was, um, in part of the Book of Islam, there was the gemstones that were carved up, such as Lapis Lazarus and Malachite, there for you to see and how those were, were ground up. And obviously the books themselves with the, with the calligraphy from such precious stones, it was just the colours are so vibrant. And when you get to Christianity, it's always slightly duller. And I, I always have to wonder why in every religion and every continent, if, if you chart it, there is always someone who has come along and needed to destroy what has gone before. And I think this is why I'm so so drawn to to Kasumi's ideas to go to go back to him. His theophysical society, like his three principles, really stand out to me. To form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or colour. To encourage the study of comparative religion, philosophy, and science. You can see where, where Pythagoras came into that. To investigate the unexplained laws of nature and power of latent in man. So that's that real sense for me that there's an energetic presence and an energy beyond us that is all around us in nature and especially when you start to study sacred symmetry and you start to study how nature grows and the mathematical principles such as the Fibonacci scale that that fits into and how I see that there's also a developmental scale that's comparable in terms of people learning especially in terms of learning new habits and breaking cycles breaking negative cycles which brings back to the last um, podcast. So there's always a, an expected time period for me when I work with people. So there's there's so much in this for me, like especially when, when I stand in a space surrounded by such beautiful objects and they're all equally beautiful. I may joke about the Christianity, but the same amount of time, the same amount of skill set in terms of the binding of the books, the calligraphy, Everything has taken place. They all contain contain the sacred symmetry and geometry in the texts and in how they're presented to people and in the patterns. And a long time ago, I recorded a podcast on belief based on a book called The Harbour Within, which was written by an Irish nun called Sister Consilo. And around the same time, I'd also read The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. I know 
that humans need belief. And then by having belief in something beyond themselves is hugely beneficial. There's this aspect of faith. So even when I couldn't embrace religion, I always embraced faith. I know that religion can provide secureness for people, but it's also our biggest manifestation of the need to control and to destroy and to have often an equally destructive force that reacts. And as I stand in a space such as the Chester Beatty Library, I'm reminded again of the place I've had to get to with my own work, that I have to think about the concept of the legacy. Humans are often brought up to have a really deep need for recognition in all sorts of ways, whether it's awards or it's people telling them what impact they've made or they're the most the one that people most tap into is, is monetary recognition for their work. But if you just view everything as energy, as lasting, as changing and transmuting, it means that you have to worry endlessly about the consequence of every action you take, but also that your work is always going forward in others. And it is a very thankless place. It doesn't come with recognition often. I have no idea if this podcast has made any sense, but there, there is so much to consider in terms of religion and in terms of energy and in terms of what we leave behind and in terms of our secureness and our deep insecurities yet again and our deep need to control always and to be better, to be right, to be more recognised, to obliterate what has come before us for that purpose rather than coexisting as Kutumi you know, demonstrated in his three ideals. I'm going to finish up with this quote, which I, which I read, which I thought was really funny. It's only when a mosquito lands on your balls that you realise there is a way to solve problems without using violence, which is from Kufungus.